Hey, welcome to Subtitles on the only podcast about movies. We are here today to talk about a movie that we watched, a movie about a writer, writer-director, in fact. Mm-hmm. But we won't talk about the directing piece of it unless we have to. <laughs> because it's a show for writers. I'm a writer. My guest Matt today is a writer. And we watched the movie about the writer with the subtitles on so we can read the writing of the writer who wrote the movie about the writer that we're watching to talk about and we're writers the (laughs) the show that we do obviously is about movies but it's also in some ways we get to tell personal stories and we sometimes Mm -hmm. get to give uh tips or advice that can be helpful to uh other younger or aspiring writers who are listening to the show so we do like to start out with you know our guests who are often pretty established giving their uh phone number and address Mm -hmm. Just, just so, just so everyone could kind of get in touch with you. Yeah. If you're more comfortable giving your email to, um, well, it's actually very easy because I live across the street from you. So, well, it's and, and maybe today, and live. maybe today we just do phone number and email. <laughs> um, but yes, this is Matt Murray. He's my neighbor. His biggest credit is that he's my neighbor, but he also has written for Parks and Recreation and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. And um, do you want to give any, is there anything like, you were uh, at SNL. SNL, SNL, yeah. yeah. Um, ESPN's two-minute drill sports trivia game show hosted by Kenny mm-hmm. Maine. I did that. Yes. Um, okay. Kenny Maine. Uh-huh. Yes. I remember a lot of New York UCB people doing the Main <laughs> Street series oh, at yeah. one point and being like, God, if only I could get on the Main Street series, <laughs> <laughs> something would be happening yeah. for me. I worked there with uh, Tony Reale, stat boy from uh, Pardon the Interruption. So okay. it was a big deal. Uh, I will have several seats. <laughs> um Okay, well, that is amazing. Yes, uh, great, place. great resume, yeah. good place. Mm-hmm. I think I've heard of that. Instantly canceled Sunnyside. You, you forking bench. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Sunnyside, yeah, we have to talk about Sunnyside. Um, we oh, will everyone, get into it. Everyone wants to hear about We're Sunnyside. still talking about Sunnyside. Um I don't know that it was instantly canceled. Oh, they give us they got they give us three. We yeah. got three on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got three. It was like uh it was the first one was too good. Uh-huh. The second one was not good enough and the third one was just right. It was yes. the Goldilocks Let's story. Go out there. And they said we've cracked it. We've got the formula. We're not going to top this one. No. And so it was time to take a break. And the big bears that are the NBC executives came (laughs) in and reclaimed their home from Sunnyside. Um, We're doing this movie, Sullivan's Travels. This movie's from 1942. I'll talk a little bit about the selection of this movie. First of all, thank you for listening to the podcast. You told me that you'd Mm -hmm. heard the podcast and you said, Sean, have you thought about doing the movie Night of Cups? (laughs) And I said, I've never, I, I I looked it up on a list of movies about mm-hmm. writers, but I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. And you said, you have to do it. It's insane. <laughs> uh, and and I said, well, maybe you could come on to discuss it. Mm-hmm. And you, maybe, you know, if you run out of movies, happy to come back. Well, yes. And you said, you said, okay, maybe I would. And then I... I offered it to several other people who I was booking as guests, like, where it's like Ben Rogers. I was like... Mm-hmm. You want to do Night of Cups? And everyone said, no. <laughs> and then I came crawling back to you and said, 
Matt, no one else wants to do Knight of Cups. Do you want to do Knight of Cups? You suggested, and you said, why don't we do Sullivan's Travel? <laughs> well, I listened to the show, and I was like, oh, Knight of Cups might not be the tone we're going for here in the sense that it doesn't really have a story or Well, and in my research dialogue. of it, and I may do it at some point, um, but it's a Terrence Malick movie, and I did do a little bit of research on it ahead mm -hmm. of time, and it was like, that he basically didn't write it, that he <laughs> yes. just suggested scenarios. Yeah, there's a great story, which I'm going to tell it because we're not, not going to do it, but that Tom Lennon is in that part. There's a party scene where Antonio Banderas goes wild, uh, but Tom Lennon is in the scene, and he said he gets there, Terrence Malick walks up to him and hands him a card that just says, there is no such thing as a fireproof wall. And Tom Lennon says... Okay, so is this, do you want me to say this? Or do you want, is this like what we should be talking about? Or is this what I should be thinking about? And Terrence Mellis just goes, I don't know. <laughs> and then he walks away. <laughs> and, then he, and then he goes, I have others, other cards. And, <laughs> and Tom Lennon was like, no, I think this one's good. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't imagine one getting more useful. Yeah, well, it was also, it's like based on, like, and not to talk about that movie the whole time, but it is, it is, I guess, based on like tarot cards or something. So it was also like this scene was inspired by a different tarot card. So that Lennon thing makes sense. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Because like, well, the movie's about tarot cards. Why wouldn't the only information the actor has be on a card? Yeah, just a nonsensical <laughs> card. <laughs> um, so we didn't do that one. You said this. there's another movie that's more of an actual movie that has a story and stuff. <laughs> And it's Sullivan's Travels, which I had never seen. I had never seen any Preston Sturgis. Mm -hmm. um, Preston Sturgis is a writer-director who my mother-in-law likes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I had told her that I read like the William Goldman book recently, and then she read it too. Mm. And then she was like, and there's a new book coming out about Preston Sturgis. Oh, wow. And I said, I don't... <laughs> I, I, said, I said, oh, cool. And then I thought, I don't know what that means, but... Um, it did make me look him up. So then I was like, oh yeah, I'd been meaning to check out something. What is your, have you seen a lot of his work? Do you have a, is it this movie in particular or do you have a Preston Sturgis take? This one in particular, I haven't seen all of his movies by any stretch. Um, this one I think is pretty much regarded as like his best one or his masterpiece or mm -hmm. whatever. But like, yeah, Lady Eve or like the Great McGinty. Great I, McGinty, I was reading a lot about and yeah. looking him up, yeah. Christmas in July. Like, did, did you see them? You've seen all those? I have I saw The Great McGinty like 20 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. And then he did uncredited work on this movie, 20th Century, that's like somewhat Hollywood related. It's like about a playwright trying to get an actress back to the Broadway, but she's gone into Hollywood. Um, that that Ben Hecht wrote that movie, but that was from the days when they like all those writers just worked in an office together and all yeah. in like a stable of writers. But Well, it was interesting that said, they, they said like he... He was like a playwright who then like started doing his own screenplays and mm -hmm. then um, that when he like sold an original screenplay that he had written by himself that he just like got kind of paid out for as like no one else touched it or did a pass on it. It was sort of unheard of. Mm -hmm. Like the producer was just like, well, the script came in perfect. Like this guy's just got the goods. Yeah. And everyone was mad because it was like you're describing where writing was more of a group mm -hmm. process even for the movie studios at that time where it was usually like teams of people and then it would get passed to someone else and yeah. and kind of picked over and that he in some ways was the beginning of 
a couple of things in Hollywood. One was an individual writer kind of start to finish being the only person to touch a script, I mm-hmm. think. And then also credit is like really the first screenwriter to become a writer director, mm-hmm. like starting as a writer. There were directors who had that had like Frank Capra and some other yeah. directors had sort of worked on their own scripts after being established as directors, but he was the first writer to go the other way. Mm-hmm. And that the great McGinty, he sold to the studio. He knew that it was dynamite and mm-hmm. he sold it to them for $10. Um, so that he in exchange for it, yeah. the rights to direct. Yeah. Yeah. And then that one, it was the first film to ever win best original screenplay at the Oscars. Yeah, that's right. And the way it's phrased when you read about that is as if that movie was so good that they were like, well, this is the first one that has ever deserved it. But I think it probably just coincided with it being the first year that that category existed. Not that it's not impressive to win it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But But it's like, it was the first because they never had given it before. Right. (laughs) He just lucked out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like the writing was so good. They were like, we have to create a new category (laughs) for this. Although he, I guess, was like sort of a really special genius. Did you... Mm -hmm come across the story about why he started writing no i didn't he went on a date in new york with some like actress who um he thought the date was going well and then she just started clowning on his ass (laughs) and was like you're you're boring like i've been pretending to find you charming this whole night because i'm like practicing my acting and i'm doing research for a play that I'm writing. She's like, I'm I'm writing a play and like your part of my research is like going on dates Yikes. with losers like you. <laughs> and he was like, well, I think you suck. And if you can write a play, I can definitely write a play. And then he went home and wrote a play like about her. <laughs> and then it fucking ran on Broadway. It was like a big deal. And then she was like, and then he like, I guess ran into her. I don't know how this story like even comes to exist on the internet, yeah. but he like talked to her and she was like, yeah, I wasn't really writing a play, but I'm very flattered that you wrote this because <laughs> it's really good. So that's like, it was an accident that he even started doing it, but then he ended up being obviously very good. Um, well, the best careers are built off spite. Yeah, 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 in yeah. My yeah. experience. No, yes. Uh, this career, the best, the best work is always done at someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> There's a little fuck you parenthetical on all of the best scripts. Um, so yeah, he had the goods. He paved the way for people. He was... A lot of people, as you mentioned, they were working in groups and the fact that he got his his own scripts done. There were a lot of haters. Mm. There was a lot of jealousy. Aren't there always? Well, I was going to say, don't you find that to be true in the mm-hmm. industry today? <laughs> Everyone's in each other's pockets still. Yeah. Thinking about who makes more money than who. And that was they were mad that he he got a deal that all the other writers were like it's fucked up that he's being paid that much mm-hmm. whereas i say rising tide lifts all boats mm-hmm. and when i see that somebody got a hundred million dollar deal at netflix or something yeah. i go oh good good for me good that's great for me yeah because that means <laughs> <laughs> that i know someone who got paid that yeah much. or don't know them or, or might never or, meet them or yeah <laughs> or i'll or I'll meet them and they won't like me. Yeah. Or usually they often already have a ton of money and then they get more. 
and that's great. That's always exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, all the way, also by the way, is Preston Sturgis's story. He was already very rich. He oh came yeah, from a very well, rich family. Yes. Did you? So yeah. What else do you know about his like history? Because it's like his mom got married like four times, and it's to like different millionaires. His her third husband had the last name Sturgis, mm -hmm. and so. Yeah, she kept marrying different, very yeah. rich men. Um, did you read the story that there's the famous story of the dancer Isadora Duncan, who's the woman who uh, wore a very long scarf and it got caught in a car wheel and it killed her. Mm -hmm. His mom gave her that scarf that killed her. <laughs> so she was traveling in these His like very sort of socialite. Duncan. Yeah, she was circles. like a dancer. Who yeah, just like, yeah, kept marrying millionaires like a socialite. And so, yeah, he was he was rich. And like working at like, you know, somewhere on in yeah. New York and then just. But that uh, scene early thing. in the movie, not to talk about the movie. Yeah. That no, scene early in the movie soon, where yeah. the studio guys are like, what do you know about suffering? Like you went to boarding school, you went to college. Yeah. Like, that is Preston Sturgis's story. Like, Yeah. It feels like there's some self-awareness. It feels like the director is obviously represented by him. And I was like, when I looked it up and I, you suggested this movie and I was like, well, is it about a writer? Like it says it's about a director, but it's like also for him, it's just for him, even though he was kind of the first person to do it, it's mm -hmm. synonymous. Oh, yeah. Like he's like, well, I'm making a movie about a director, but of course the director is me right. and I write all my movies. Yes. So it's like making a movie means writing and then directing it for right. him. Um, uh, do you have aspirations to direct? Absolutely not. Yeah. Never. No. Yeah. I mean, There's do I want the money that comes with directing? Yeah. Absolutely. But do I want to do it? No. Yeah. Also, as you as you have probably found as a comedy writer on sitcoms and sketches and things like that, like we are on set and we are sitting next to the director and like we are able to usually if you're working with a cool director to be like, hey, actually, can we do it this way? And the director, because they're there for the week, is like, fine, sure, whatever, I don't care. Uh -huh. <laughs> and you you are kind of able to look over the shoulder of the director in a lot of ways. So yeah, so yeah, I'm happy doing that. Have you ever dealt with a director who wouldn't let you do the, like, give the note or something? Um, a little bit, like, uh, yeah, yes. Um, I had one time. That's always fun. I'll tell you one time that I, I was on set for a show and there was a director who I had met before, who I generally thought was nice. And and there was a way that I knew that the showrunner wanted a certain line. And I turned mm -hmm. and I was like, could this line be a little more like, almost like condescending or something? And the director turned and went, really? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah like they were like i don't think so <laughs> like, oh, okay well i guess i'm out of moves <laughs> that was tough when i i used to work for saturday night live and the guy who used to make all the commercial parodies was this guy jim signorelli who was a real character he he dressed like ralph Zaffaretto from the sopranos like with uh -huh. like an ascot and a tweed jacket and like I, I, he would wear like jodhpurs and like knee-high boots on set. Like it was crazy. Mm -hmm. And when I started there, I was very young um, and I didn't know anything. So maybe I probably was doing something wrong. I don't know. But at one point we were shooting a commercial parody that I had written and I walked up to approach him to suggest something. And I don't think I even got a word out. And he physically grabbed my arm and shoved me away from him. 
So, <laughs> and I said, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> 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 okay. All right. Well, may he rest in peace. Uh, so, so then um, I did, had one more sort of prompt for you, which is like basically Preston Sturgis worked for thirty years, mm -hmm. but had this five-year period where he basically made everything, every like relevant film. Yes, like he, he just like hot streak. fucking crushed for five years. And like even when you look up this movie, it's like it's like it did commercially the worst of the three movies he had released in 1941 mm -hmm. he was writing and directing three different movies yeah. in a single year like it was such a fucking factory at that mm -hmm. point but when you hear that he did all this work but that he just had these five years where he made everything that he's sort of remembered for um do you have a theory at all about creativity like there's a discussion that i remember happening in the work hogs writer at one point of whether you have a certain amount of work that you'll do or whether there's a certain period in your life where you are going to have like a good creative outfit like either like there's like a peak where you mm. or if you've got 10 ideas that are decent and you'll make them at some point in your career mm. or whether there's just like you have to when you're feeling it just like go 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 I mean, that sounds exciting. I can't wait for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I'm like, I have the worst work habits. I'm like the sure. least motivated. I mean, it probably explains why I'm not a billionaire, but like, no, I'm happy to just be in a Hey, we're neighbors, you yeah. know, you can't be doing that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Quincy um, Jones, uh, <laughs> yeah, our neighborhood. Um, yeah, our, Ted yes. Sarandos. Um, yeah, I think um, I have thought about it a little bit before because it's very scary to go like oh is my creative period over mm -hmm. and all i'm going to do is talk about movies <laughs> and tell stories from when i used to work so that is a a fear certainly um and you do go like oh is there a certain point where i'm just not gonna have it or like understand what's happening anymore <laughs> and i won't know it um well it is scary like you know i've been doing this for 23 years to have the realization, which happened several years ago, that like, oh, I'm the old guy now. Yeah. That, I don't like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. Well, because you do like, especially if you're not the showrunner on a show, mm -hmm. you kind of go like, the boss, right? Like, you kind of <laughs> go like, hey, the boss, huh? Yeah. We're cool. <laughs> and then you realize that the person you're talking to is like 23. Yeah. <laughs> you are 20 years older than yeah. You are in their mind also the boss. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. And, and the boss like, is younger than you sometimes. Yes. Oh yeah. The boss is sometimes younger, but it's just like, oh yeah, I don't get to do this. <laughs> like they're agreeing with me, but in the same way that I'm agreeing with my boss. Like where they're going like, yeah, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Like uh and so um and you like, yeah, you notice or yeah, you realize that like the way in which you have like humored older writers or that you see them mm -hmm. humor or complain about all the writers that you are, you are in that category. You are not in the category with the young people mm -hmm. and that sucks. <laughs> um, uh, even though I am actually like kind of cool and young. We are very um, cool and young. We do. Dude. Yes. Um, yeah. But also in the, in terms of the like, creative peak thing uh, i i don't know for writing and i don't think i've ever um 
you've worked on a lot of shows where it was like it was this kind of like murders row of people and it was like a very big cultural shift from like when you were at SNL and then Parks mm -hmm. and Rec and 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 the good place and like being in that like Mike Schur camp and everything mm -hmm. where it's like oh we're you know what you're with all these people who are like hitting and so I came in from doing improv for a long time mm -hmm. and I was in New York I was on like either four or five different Herald teams and none of them were good <laughs> like I kept getting put on teams I thought I was doing good but it was like it was like always a collection of people where it was like okay these people are funny maybe this will work and then it didn't work mm -hmm. the last team I got put on before I left I was like this is the this is the best sort of recipe I've been a part of and then I I left after three weeks to move to LA mm -hmm. and the team did become pretty good but then I got on a team here that I like put together with my friends we did the show shitty jobs for 10 years and there was a period where it was like me and Dom, who I was really close with, was my writing partner, and Donald Glover was on the team, mm -hmm. and like he was on TV at the time, and 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 Schwartz, who was doing Parks and Rec, and we were doing a show every Sunday night, and we were doing cage match every week as well. We were like winning cage match every week, and we were doing these shows, and it just felt like we are so funny and we are so good together and this is so good and like an older maybe like maybe it was like curtis gwynn or somebody who'd been on like mm -hmm. a lot of good teams was just like enjoy it because <laughs> when you're doing it like it feels like right oh this is you know like i'm good now mm -hmm. and it's like but you are actually just like a part of something that is very finite. Right, right, And right. like, you don't know, it could be a year, it could be two years, it could be two months. Yeah. And you just don't know like when it's going to end. Um, and it feels like I had that direct experience with that that was like so visceral and I can mm -hmm. remember it, but it feels like it must happen for Preston Sturgis as a movie director mm -hmm. or like in TV rooms too, where it's like just, I guess um being trying to be aware of like when you're in the pocket being like well just really <laughs> enjoy it try to keep yeah. it going but like no too like it's just everything's a phase i remember we had our like writers wrap dinner when parks and rec ended and it was very emotional it was like you know that staff was amazing it was like joe mandy and jen statsky he just did the show joe oh, just did the show you got Mandy. would love to have jen oh my god <laughs> i'll make a call yeah um but like, yeah, you know, and as someone who had worked for a long time, I, w I said, like, when we all got up to talk, I was like, this is amazing. Like, we should appreciate this, that all of these amazing people are here. Like, I've worked on shows where it's not that great. And like, we should all appreciate this because it, it might never happen again. And then a year later, all of those people reassembled to do The Good Place. And I had to make that speech again. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I remember my first job, like, which obviously I've talked about before, Alan Gregory was not a successful show, but people, the couple people who had worked on other shows were telling me, not like what we're making is so special this year, but they were like, you don't understand how good this job is. Mm -hmm. Like, because David Goodman was such an incredible showrunner and... I found the creators very funny and the work process was very much like it was very loose <laughs> and there was a lot of because we had a lot of time and we didn't have that many episodes the creators would often be like we kind of want to figure this part out on our own so oh. if you guys 
great want to go home or like hang oh, out and it was a lot of it was a bottom heavy staff with a lot of like young staff writers and stuff so like we'd go to our office and like play cards and shit and i was like Ugh. oh my god like this is what working is like and then it was like no it's not never <laughs> never have been anywhere near it again and i look back and i also go oh i could have written a movie like while i was being paid to write oh, yeah. that show um, because there was so many times that we'd mm -hmm. like come in at 10 and then from two to five, we would be like working on little ideas for the show, but have a bunch of our own time. Mm -hmm. And we use that, of course, to invent a game called Go Ball, <laughs> <laughs> which, which was so great, but was totally dependent on the structure of the offices. Mm -hmm. So I could never recreate it for you. But um, <laughs> But uh, you go like, oh, it was, I didn't appreciate, mm -hmm. first of all, what a luxury it was. And I also um, did not use the time effectively <laughs> at all. Uh, well, I I mean, I worked, I did one season on Community, mm -hmm. which uh, that, oh, was, yeah. that was incredibly long hours. I mean, that was essentially around the clock hours. That's just Dan Harmon's process. Yeah. It works for him. Uh, but yeah, it, and, I, I and no one else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people like it. Yeah. Everyone stayed, everyone was there. Like, yeah. you know, I was at a stage in my life, like SNL hours, you're there all the time. And I love that. Um, but yeah, a very sad moment where like a couple weeks in, like me and my wife, like went to bed, bath and beyond to buy me a blanket and a pillow for my office there. Cause I was like sleeping there and not showering. It, it, it was, uh, yeah, it was rough. Oh yeah, well I want I did actually. Uh, well, I'll get into the actual like beat by beat of the movie now, oh, yeah. but I had a I had a question about that exact thing for later when he like that basically this guy uh who is so sheltered spends in the time of the movie like 20 minutes sleeping on like a train car mm -hmm. and immediately is so sick yes. and unwell <laughs> and like that um when you are when you are used to like normal like staff stuff like uh like that you do sometimes encounter a job like that where it's like oh yeah we're here all night or whatever and that for me my body physically <laughs> falls apart so quickly yes. and when i worked on ghosted there were a lot of issues early on and I was staying very late and uh, we worked also in these like really shitty trailers that Ugh. were like built behind the production offices because they just didn't have enough offices for everyone. So they had just like dropped like a weird little like makeshift trailer. So it's like, you know, they had to bring a truck to like pump out the toilets like no. every couple of days. Like, it was like really brutal. No. Like, and like, <laughs> We walked in one day and there was like animal vomit on the floor. We were like, what is like what like what got in here and like what? So anyway, it was a very like sort of unsanitary environment. And I was staying till three or four a.m. And I started to get this like painful like rash on my chest, like after only like two weeks of work. Yeah. And I went to the doctor and I was like, hey, I got this rash. Maybe I'm allergic to something. And he went, you're not sleeping. And I went. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he said, you have shingles? And I was like, right. And he was like, and shingles is what old people get. Yeah. And the only reason that someone your age would have it 
is if you fully have stopped sleeping and mm-hmm. you're like fucked and you have to stress. get sleep. And yeah, and it's like stress and lack yeah. of sleep. And I was like, okay, yeah. And he's like, you're not sleeping. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm like <laughs> staying till 4 a.m. in this fucked up trailer Yeesh. in North Hollywood. Um, and so uh, I don't want to do that anymore. No, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to do it. You don't have to. No, that way. sometimes I do talk to people now, especially having like a, a family and everything who are like working on a job where they're like staying till 3 a.m. or whatever. And they go and and it's also like you do go like even if the show's like good, you, you do go like to make this. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. 3 a.m. and we're making and pick any show you want. But yeah, like some network any show. show. Yeah. yeah. Anything that's not your favorite show of all time, you go. Yeah. This is what we're ma- we're here all night, and I do think now if I got uh, I got a job like that, I'm like I no. think I would go home. Yeah. Like I think I would just leave. Yeah, you have a and family. I would see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fire me. But I also I talk tough, but I am actually. <laughs> <laughs> what do you need? Um, <laughs> oh, I want to. So I'm gonna get into the opening scene of the movie but first Mm -hmm. the last thing about Preston Sturgis a quote from a critic who did not like him because obviously there's so much praise about his work but this someone named Manny Farber is criticizing (laughs) him and they said he is um, truncating the quote they said he is essentially a satirist without any stable point of view from which to aim his satire he is apt to turn his back on what he has been sniping at to demolish what he has just been defending. He is contemptuous of everybody. That's Hollywood Handbook. I love that. That's Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Just be That's like, this, this is what sucks. And then just spin around and be like, actually, the thing I like sucks. <laughs> That's really good. Um, I love him. So it opens with a quote to the memory of those who made us laugh. The motley mountebanks, <laughs> the clowns, the buffoons, in all times and in all nations, whose efforts have lightened our burden a little. This podcast is affectionately dedicated. <laughs> they they said movie, but, but um, uh, so it opens on a fight scene on top of a train. Um, these guys wrestle for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, then one reveals that he has a gun uh, and shoots the other one, which I'm like, why did you wrestle? <laughs> <laughs> um. It's any thoughts about this, the action sequence? Action sequence is great. I mean, there's so many different genres in this movie, which makes it really fun. Yeah. But let's also remember that the first thing that you see in the movie is a a depiction of a homeless person. It's our main character and Veronica Lake, but two hobos in a storybook. And the storybook is being read by a woman's hand with a very large diamond ring. Yeah. So it's like. Like his point of the like the entertainment of suffering is not for the people who are suffering. It's for rich people. Yeah. So like that's full of little details like that. But fight scene is great. But then his reaction to the fight scene is amazing, which is a classic, like well-meaning liberal dumb person's take of like, it's capital and labor and like they destroy each other. And it's very relevant to what's happening now, which is oh, like, yeah. it's like somebody saying like, Oh, like they should just find a way to get along, or else they're both yeah. going to destroy each other. It's both like, sides. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like no. It's like one has their boot on the other one's neck, and the other one's saying, "Please don't put your boot on my neck." And somebody's yeah. saying, "Can't they just find a way to get along here?" Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's all the struggling that's the problem. Yeah, and it's like well, <laughs> labor's only struggling because they're being killed. They want to exist. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's really that's really funny. So yeah, I, I did find it 
uh, interesting that like basically his opening line is uh, exactly about the entire reason this podcast even started. You know what? And I'll, and, uh, I'll get into one more thing, which is we haven't checked in for a while on this show about like the state of the strike. Mm-hmm. What are you hearing? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great about it. Um, yeah. Did you read? There was an LA Times article that came I out yesterday. I did read that yesterday. That was so cool. Yes. Finally, someone's saying what's true. It's yes. Like, the, like, like an LA Times, the headline was like the basically like the studios have lost. lost. Yeah. The studios lost the strike. When are they going to admit it and come make a fair deal? I mean, like it's all ego. All that's left for them is mm-hmm. ego. There's no business reason at this point to possibly be engaged in the conflict. Yes. Um, And that there was like a poll that like the public support is, mm-hmm. you know, 70% in favor of which is significant. Mm-hmm. Like, and by the way, not significant necessarily for the negotiations because like we're not doing it for people to like us. Right. Um, But... It is interesting to me that that is the public perception because traditionally you wouldn't think that, you know? Well, as somebody who was there for the last strike, uh, it's wildly different in a lot of ways, in a lot of very cool ways. One, the guild is way bigger. The guild is, the demographics of the guild are much better in terms of like gender representation and racial representation. Like it's a much younger guild. Um, But then also the public opinion, like the last time, we won very important things like like the internet rules and stuff like that. Like Deep that could have residuals. been really bad if we didn't get that. Yes. Um, but I think the public opinion, and they were kind of right, which is like, what are you rich babies crying about? Which is, you know, not not totally wrong in that one. This one, I think because of what's happening to labor across the board in this country, yeah. everyone's like, yes, <laughs> like you guys are right. Fuck these billionaires. Like, And well, I think it's great. It's I even seen like I do remember when there would be like sports holdouts and like mm-hmm. delayed seasons and shortened seasons that the public was what are these rich babies crying about on behalf of the players mm-hmm. like uh, and and it has changed like the perception now so much and it's different like but the perception has changed for me as a fan. And I think for a lot of people in the country where it's like, well, if you're saying, what are the players crying about? You are on the side of the owners. The billionaires. And so it's like, even if I think writers are spoiled brats, Mm -hmm. it's like to be against them is to take the side of much more spoiled, bigger brats. Of course. And so it's just like, you don't even have to like me. Mm -hmm. You just have to dislike them to be on the right side of this. Um, So that is a shift that has happened (laughs) you know, in that time frame. Um, and I think uh, it's cool. And uh, I hope that the studios see it the same way. Um, <laughs> hey, one, maybe by Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, they get out of this movie that's uh, the heroes describing uh, the powerful message about capitalism. Uh, he's saying, I want to do a movie with a message like this. Very funny runner that I was surprised by in a movie made in 1942. Mm-hmm oldest movie we've watched so far maybe the oldest movie i've ever seen <laughs> um and uh and he's like i want to make a movie with a message and the executive goes but with a little sex in it <laughs> yeah he's like <laughs> and he's like yeah of course <laughs> and he just keeps he's like yeah and then even as he starts to pitch it again he's like he's like you know and it's gonna be about this and it's gonna be about the real you know the real struggles in the country and with a little sex in it yeah and they just keep bringing it back to that um so that was uh very 
uh, fun and funny to me. And he has to this desire to do real art against the wishes of all the corporate dummies around him. Well, everyone like that's another great thing I like about this movie is that like everyone is telling him this is a bad idea. Yes. (laughs) And like. And these guys are like studio idiots, but they're right. Like, like, yes, they're mo- right for the wrong reasons. Right. Um, but there's a great exchange in that scene where uh, he's talking about this movie that they just watched, how great it is. It's It's been five weeks at the whatever, at the theater in L.A. And they're like, it died in Pittsburgh. And he, and he goes, what do they know in Pittsburgh? And they say they know what they like. And then Sullivan says, well, if they knew what they like, they wouldn't live in Pittsburgh. So it's like, <laughs> you can tell he's full of shit already. Like he wants to make a movie about the common man, but like just he totally looks down on them. Yes, yes. yes. From his like ivory tower. Yeah. yeah. He just, yeah. He's like, I want to really talk to these people. And he's like, I don't want to see them or be around them, yes. but I do want to talk to them uh, in a one-sided conversation. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, so I was... I, w- I was surprised as we go back even 10 years further from like when I watched uh, The Bad and the Beautiful and uh, and Sunset Boulevard, which Sunset Boulevard to me, I get more impressed by every time I watch another one because it did feel like it felt so modern to me. And this mm-hmm. one, while I enjoyed it, while it has like some fun and some super relevant stuff, it feels old, like just like the, the style of like the dialogue. film and the slapstick yeah. and the dialogue like is just like pretty crazy. But mm-hmm. I was surprised how much that message of like, I want to make something important and no one will let me is like throughout every era. Like even when we watch adaptation and Mm -hmm. it's like, no, I don't want it to feel like a movie though. Like I Mm -hmm. want it to be, you know, like everyone has this, like I want it to be this certain way and no one will let me do that. Right. Um, and so often the answer for them is to do it in a way that is commercially viable. Right, right. Like that is just what ends up being what happens. The thing that struck me as very relevant today about about the sort of entire premise is that like, especially f- coming from the comedy world, like we've all seen comedians who go like, no, I'm I'm serious now. I do drama now. Yeah. And I my show is not not really comedy anymore. And like we all clown on them privately. Mm-hmm. And then in person we say, Oh, it's so good. Oh my but, God. It blew my fucking mind. Dude. But, uh, it's like, how'd you get serious? <laughs> I'm oh so God. glad you're not funny. <laughs> it's so brave. Um, I like it so much better, but I love that. Like <laughs> comedians have been clowning on those people for 80 years. Yes. This movie is 80 years old. <laughs> like, yes, yes. And, but it, yes, it's that. And then it's also just like the way that it working in comedy, that like comedy is doing something funny though is looked at as like bad like it is looked down on <laughs> yeah like um and like just being having that be like the most important thing of like can we make people laugh with this has like no prestige whatsoever whereas at least in this time it feels like that's what everyone wants him to do right so then uh the great fake movie names in this first scene they keep referencing uh, hey hey in the hey loft yep. Um, uh, ants in your plants. Ant, ants in your plants. <laughs> and there's a year after it for some yeah. reason. <laughs> it's, like, it's like ants in your plants in 1939. And they're like, what yeah. if you made ants in your plants in 1941? <laughs> like, it's like, the sequel's going to be more modern. And they um, go through they go through his biography of like how he went to boarding school and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. So like, yeah, they call spiritual. his ass out. Yeah. They're like, we want to, we, you're trying to represent a side of life you have no experience with. They're going through his biography of like, where were you at 13? And mm-hmm. he's like, I was at boarding school school where we were 20 i was at college mm-hmm. and then they're saying where they were and mm-hmm. like 
I thought this was interesting where like the executives are going like, when I was 13, I was supporting my entire family or mm -hmm. like I was doing, you know, I had a job like pressing license plates or whatever. Um, and so it's sort of this idea of writers as these privileged like dilettantes who mm -hmm. aren't connected to their material. Um, I liked one thing is that the executives, when he leaves the room, have been lying. Yes. Like they also are from, they are from, from extreme privilege. Yeah. And that is something that I do also think exists uh, now where it is like people really try to foreground any hardship or yes. any struggle. And everyone, just like so many stories of people um, which I, yeah. I I'm guilty of, and certainly friends are guilty. Where it's like it's like, and when this happened, that I and I went out for this job, and I had no money. Yeah, and it's like, but you did it. Like yeah. you you didn't. Like yeah, you you, you <laughs> lived like, in an apartment. You <laughs> wanted more money, <laughs> and like and you and you were not on a track that was mm -hmm. like long term sustainable. Yeah, but it's like you and it may have even been you were on the brink of moving back in with your parents. But even but that, that was an option. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had to temp for a year. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and I would say as a Harvard man. Uh-huh. As we both are. <laughs> as, a as a Harvard man, are you ever like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> uh, I mean, in what sense? I, in in like, some sense, in every way. But. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are we doing? No, I'm, I, I'm the worst example of like the, I, you know, I, got a job very quickly out of Harvard mm -hmm. uh, and I have been steadily employed. Like I, I understand I'm like, I've had it about as good as you can get it. Mm -hmm. So it's been great. <laughs> yeah, it must rock. And I, and I know from my experience, I did the first job that I came out to just this being like a trope. Uh, I came out to work for a shitty MTV animated sketch show uh -huh. that got burned off at like 4 p.m. when they finally made it. And this was like my first writing job and it was a non-union job. So it was like the dregs of like who's working. And I walk in and the writers are two people from Harvard, uh -huh. two people from Dartmouth, <laughs> one person who went to Columbia and me. And I was like, oh, even... Mm -hmm. at the very, even on the very bottom rung uh -huh. of show business, the writers room is populated... 100% at the time of my arrival by Ivy League <laughs> educated mm -hmm. uh, people. And I was like, wow, it was, and and, I, and I'll shock you as well, all white men. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there was one guy with like more of an animation background who was like a producer on the show who wasn't really like on the writing side, but I was like, oh, wow, it's, it's real. Um, uh-huh. We, Which, as you said, has changed. Like the demographics are are different a little bit, but um, it just was interesting. And so it's like I, somebody from Cheshire, Connecticut, mm -hmm. show up and feel like I've got this hard scrabble background because <laughs> I, I flunked out of college because I was doing drugs. And I'm like, I'm actually... Uh, I'm, I'm from the streets. I'm actually pretty rough and tumble. Um, uh, but I am... Um, uh, also a loser or, or like whatever <laughs> not a loser but like a fake um so anyway uh he set on making oh brother where art thou uh he wants to do it so badly and he believes them they're they're 
explanation backfires of why he can't mm -hmm. make it. He goes, you're right. I have no idea what trouble is. So I'm going to go live as a tramp. I'm going to go to wardrobe. Wardrobe's <laughs> going to make me a bad jacket. And then I am going to put 10 cents in my pocket uh, and, and go live as a tramp. Um, the pace of the movie is insane, by oh, the yeah. way, which I love. Yes. Like, it's like, it's 90 minutes and it's, they're just skipping through things. Like, oh, then yeah. it's just like, he's in the outfit. Yeah. And then, as you said, the rich executives have told him not to do this. Now his butler comes. Yes. And is like, don't do this. Mm -hmm. So I think that's cool. I think the butler character is really cool. Well, also the butler, you know, he will find out from certain things that he says, like, he says the 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 poor should be shunned, the poverty should be shunned. Like yeah, because like, we'll it's a out. disease it's you a can disease. catch is yes. basically what he says. Like because we he has come from that poverty and like he's he's the kind of person who gets out of it and then says like never again. He pulls the ladder up behind yes. him. Yeah, he's like as soon as he can pretend that he has no relation to these people, yes. the rest of his life is spent being like I've always been classy. Yes. I don't know anything about that. Um, so yeah, it's a, just another type of problematic. I also love that Sullivan is literally carrying a bindle. Oh yeah. Great. He's, um, yes. And practicing a limp, <laughs> like <laughs> so funny, which again, n jumping ahead in the movie, he's doing that limp and it's very comedic, uh, later in the movie when he is about to be assaulted by a fellow homeless person, that character is walking with a limp. And it is not funny. It's very scary yes. when he's being pursued by this guy. So it's it's kind of, I, I thought that was a nice little touch. There's, yeah, there's some good structural stuff like that that happens. There's also a funny thing that the studio executives truly give a shit about this guy. Like <laughs> yes. this, this is how times have changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, I mean, obviously he's someone who has made them a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Like that's what's so clear is they're like, we don't even care that he's going to go make this movie that we think yeah. is going to lose money because he's made us so much money, right. which he says at the time they go like, you know, we've been burned before on trying to do like important movies. And he's like, right. not by me. And they're like, right. yeah, not by you. Right. Like, so don't do it. Also, by the way, he definitely does not need to go undercover as a hobo because they tell him in that scene earlier. Okay, fine. Do it. You can make the movie. <laughs> yeah. They go, fine. You can make the movie. You want, this is your passion project. Yeah. You've done like five hits for us. Like, yeah. Okay, go ahead and do it. And they're like, just like basically, like, we don't think you're, you know, yeah. We don't think it's the right movie for you because of this reason. And he goes, yeah, you're right. I'm going to go undercover uh, <laughs> as a vagabond. Um, so uh, they're following him around. Uh, they've like assembled a team <laughs> of totally useless people yep. to follow him. Um, in a land yacht. Yes, a land yacht, which I guess is, it's like a Winnebago, basically. Um, <laughs> which they're all, they're all complaining about the chef on the <laughs> on the land yacht. These people who work for him. Uh, so this was um, just did make me think about sort of a, an an aspect of the industry, which is like these entourages that get formed around people mm -hmm. who do. Um, earn money for the studio and like all the different people that get assigned to them that it's very unclear what a lot of their jobs are mm -hmm. like the two guys who are in there talking like when they hit turbulence or whatever and complaining about the food it's like we don't know who they are they're yeah. not the what studio is executives they're not like they're not his butler or his assistant mm -hmm. there's some press people who are going to yep. document what he's doing yeah but you just like don't know and this is a very 
real thing to this day where whenever people are successful, there are people around them who mm -hmm. have some niche job that you can't understand. And even like, so like I've had a, a manager before. I don't, do you have a manager now? I have a manager. So it's like, you can have a manager and, and it's good. And if you're a person like me, you have an agent or a manager and they like, ideally try to help you get work or mm -hmm. they might read your material and you do some phone calls with them and that's it that's your relationship but if you get very successful your your manager then is with you all the time <laughs> <laughs> so like when i worked on workaholics they had a manager who had other clients certainly mm -hmm. um uh and i'm sure was you know leaving to take phone calls with that would be helpful to them but he was around <laughs> he was there because these guys had a TV show and mm -hmm. were like blowing up. And so he was just like constantly there. And uh, I just remember the relationship being very funny because they sort of knew we've become important to this person mm -hmm. and we're being treated a little differently. And those guys were very funny and like had like a sort of like, uh, um, you know, whatever genial relationship with him. And they would fuck with him and do these little tests. And I remember one day, maybe it was Blake was just like, you know, going like, well, Isaac, like if we, if we, you know, are blowing up and raise your profile, what would you do if like Kevin James called you up and wanted to sign with you tomorrow? Like somebody big is on like mm -hmm. a big show. Like, would you take them on as a client? And he was like, you know, I would ask, why do you feel like you need me? You know, because he's doing so well. And just like had this very political answer. And then they he's, were like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, but you'd have to sign him, right? Like you would, you would sign him. Like, and he's like, he's like, well, I don't know. You know, it'd have to make sense. Like, I need to know why. And they were like, but you would sign. He's a big money client. Yeah. You would sign him. He's like, yeah, I mean, I would have to sign him. And then they went, you're fucking fired. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but they would just be putting him through these weird psychological tests all the time and I just got such a kick out of it um, but yeah I just also it made me think of that story but it's just there's there's always this like sort of entourage of figures around that starts to grow and grow well it's definitely the case in TV right like when you you have like a table read and it's time to get like notes afterwards and there are like eight people sitting across from you giving you notes and two of them speak maybe yeah. three and you're like what are all you what are the rest of you doing <laughs> like it's well that that's amazing and also i have a story about that that i really of something i really like where generally there is someone who's designated to speak the notes mm -hmm. of the executives and they will sometimes so there's like a spokesperson they will sometimes make it very clear that a note is coming from their boss mm -hmm. and there are two reasons one is like so if the boss's name is jeff they'll be like Jeff really wants this. Mm -hmm. And it'll either be, I don't want you to think this is my note because right, right. it's so stupid, <laughs> but I cannot not say it because it's my boss. Or it's like, this is the only note you actually have to take because this comes from the boss. Right, right, right. But I also encountered something only once where I worked on a show where someone would give 95% of the notes mm -hmm. and, then they, and then they would go, and Alex had a thought that we felt oh, he should say. Yes. <laughs> it was like there was one person, a Hang newer, younger executive, who they all were like, could not be a because it wasn't their boss. Uh -huh. So they weren't like, we have to say this. They were like, 
you want that note given? You have to say it yourself, <laughs> but I won't give it. And it was so amazing. I had never witnessed it before. You just saw that like that person was like such the black sheep of the executive where they were like, I like, I don't really, I'm not a creative, but he, mm -hmm. but I know that's wrong. <laughs> I heard a great story. I won't name names because I'm not even sure if this actually happened, but I'm going to say it, uh, that it was a, a very well-known sitcom producer, creator, uh, was being given notes by the team of executives and a very junior executive pipes up uh, for the first time and says, oh, and and this joke in this scene, I think we could beat that joke. Which for people who don't know, like generally when you get these notes after a table read or something, they don't get super granular generally about jokes. Like they, they respect yeah. the writer enough to like not, you know, nitpick jokes or pit, pitch jokes or anything. It's usually just about the scenes. The executive says, I think we can beat this joke. And the creator slides a pencil over to him and says, I'll give you one year to beat that joke. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I've heard I've heard that story too. And it was, yeah. And the 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 phrasing I heard was, Can you beat this joke? It was, can you? I'll give you a year. <laughs> Which I love. I want that to be true. Oh, it's yes, it's very, very cool. Um, would love to uh be in a position where I can be mean like this. <laughs> um and and it's fair. It's fair. Um so uh, we then get into, he's like hitchhiking. Uh, he gets into a car. He gets into a whippet tank with mm -hmm. a 13 year old boy mm -hmm. who says, I'm practicing driving fast. And he says, good. Then the land yacht um, is trying to follow him on this crazy car chase. The One of the choices here is that they do a close up on the speedometer, which is drawn in yes. with like a pencil, <laughs> which is, I guess, just Great. being like, we're in a cartoon. Mm -hmm. Like, don't even think yes. about it. Like, it's so funny. Uh, I loved that. It was so weird and like surreal. Yeah. And they basically do a version of that scene in Oh Brother or Art Thou, the Coen Brothers uh -huh. movie, when they they meet uh, John Turturro's cousin and he has the little son who gets them to escape in his car where it's like going crazy through the barn yes. and everything. So I thought that was a nice little touch. Yes, yes. And we, yeah, we should mention, yeah, the, obviously the Coen Brothers movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, is mm -hmm. sort of inspired by this movie because it's the fake book that he wants to adapt. Um, so then uh, that... That happens, and the chef also gets his head stuck through the roof mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and like one of the weirdest slapstick scenes. Um, uh, but they finish the car chase, and like none of it matters because the people are still right there. Yeah. And he basically says, like, I'll make a deal, like, just like let's pick a spot to meet, but you have to stop following me because I can't do this with you behind me. Mm -hmm. And they start pitching places to meet. Now I thought this was interesting. They pitch meeting at Boulder Dam. Uh-huh. And National Yellow Park. National Yellow Park. Well, that was like a comedy German character. But it's obviously Hoover Dam and right. Yellowstone. Right. Okay. It was just that this person was foreign because because also guess, Boulder Dam. I, I was like, were they not allowed to say the real landmarks? <laughs> the copyright of yeah. The I'm like, parks? is there some sort of like Yellowstone will sue know. us or something? It was really weird, but it did make me wonder. Um, I, or I wanted to bring up, which we've never talked about on the show, S&P notes, mm. standards of practices where somebody's, you know, if you just like make up a name in a script, they like run it through a database mm -hmm. to make sure that either there is not someone with that name mm -hmm. or that there are so many people with that name that no one person could ever sue the network and say that you're making fun of them. Right. 
And that's always interesting to me. And just like clearing the rights of like, if your character invents a website or like yeah. has a, you know, opens a bakery that it's like all this vetting that has to be done. That, um, that can end up two ways. Like it's so corny when it's like, you know, have you seen the viral video on you face or whatever? Yes, and that's yes, 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 yes. Horrible. Yes. But with the name stuff, uh, Mike sure did this at Parks and Rec and I think they did on The Office too. But if you just go IMDb and look at the names of characters on Parks and Rec, they're the weirdest, dumbest names ever. Uh-huh. A, to get around S&P notes, but also like he, he was like, well, I like when if you, all these people are coming in to read for this part and it's like you could have them be like waiter number three or you can have him be like Morph Torkelson. And right. it's like more fun to have a name. Oh yeah. Well that that's one thing, but also it's you always hear too that it's easier to get an actor to agree to a smaller mm -hmm. part if they have a name. Cause it's like I remember it would be an offer would go out to like whatever mid-level actor to play like the chef. Mm -hmm. And the and it would come back and be like, they'll take it, but you have to have them have a name because they want on their IMDB yes. not to be waiter number one right. as a credit. They want to be, oh, they were Morph Torkelson on Parks and Rec. I don't mm -hmm. remember that character, but that must be some. It must, must be someone important. important. Yeah. They have such a crazy name. <laughs> um, we also had so on. Uh, I wrote one workaholics episode where they uh, found a dead cow on the side of the road and decided to start making their own beef jerky, <laughs> and they were starting a business. And we were very tickled by. Uh, them wanting to call the business the Jerky Boys Brothers. <laughs> because we were all fans yeah. of the Jerky Boys. Right, of course. Uh, who had done just some excellent prank phone calls that I'm sure hold up. But the... <laughs> I remember being back when I was an extra at 30 Rock once and Tina Fey, like, just for some reason was telling someone, she's like, did you listen to the Jerky Boys? <laughs> She's like, I just was listening to one of the CDs. Just like I started re-listening to Jerky Boys. I, like, I love that you're loving this. I mean, I I want to go back and listen to the Jerky Boys now because I'm sure it's very problematic. But oh, I'm God. also sure I'm gonna laugh. There's probably yeah, I think there are some funny ones. They really took their time too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, we wanted to call it the Jerky Boys Brothers. We were ultimately told you can't call it the Jerky Aww. Boys Brothers, and we had to generate. And it is fun sometimes. You have to make a big list of names, and then you have to like pick your top three because it costs money for them to like run it through legal. Right. And then the one that ran through legal that got approved was the Meat Jerking Beef Boys, <laughs> <laughs> which is. <laughs> Which might be better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that was that was a fun one. Um, so anyway, uh oh, and do you yeah, I was curious if you had any like craziest S P note. Standards of practice is also for like not like morality, but what's gonna get flagged. So like again, the lawyer we had on on Workaholics was a fan of the show, which was mm -hmm. kind of funny because they'd be like Hey guys, it's such a funny script. So just, you know what my job is. So we can't see Carl's penis shaft the way it's described here in the script. So I'm just hoping that you've got a way to either shoot from behind him and we'll just talk about the penis shaft. <laughs> they would have so many like things they had to describe in detail of what we couldn't show. Like, I know it says he busts alone. <laughs> I remember the the standards and practices woman, the lawyer at SNL, NBC person, she she would flag things, and sometimes I would be like, "Well, what can I say?" Like, yeah, and often like 
oftentimes it would be her suggestion would be so much worse way filthier where like there was a sketch where somebody said the word muff to refer to a part of a woman's anatomy and and she was like i don't know if you can say that like i i would flag that and we were like well what what can we say and she was like hair pie no no what (laughs) (laughs) oh no yeah that's cool they're like weird workarounds are like so much more disturbing um uh yeah that but that was it was funny to me too because that lawyer liked the show but so often those people are so serious oh, <laughs> like yeah. do not like it i mean they all. could lose a lot of money if yeah they, if they mess up even a little bit yeah they don't they don't like it <laughs> um uh so then uh the sound design when he goes to the movies with all the common folk which is his first Amazing. venture out it's incredible it reminds me of um in the Phantom Thread, when like uh, he's like invited this woman into his home, mm-hmm. and he's sort of realizing what it means to share his space Ugh. with another person, and the sound of her buttering toast like is cranked up yes. to like nine thousand decibels. Just disgusting. Just like everything. Yeah. And so for this guy, what we know right is the movies are sacred to him. Mm-hmm. Like he's a movie director. He's showing them a movie in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Like, and we see also how he experiences movies in that way. Right? He's in a private screening room inside the studio mm-hmm. with two other people in total control of the environment. And now he's out in the world and he's sitting with all these people and he like wants this experience, but he's looking around. It's like, this person's opening a package. Mm-hmm. They're eating popcorn. It's disrespectful. Well, he's also a guy who claims that he wants to champion the common man. And then this is the first time you see him with regular people and he's disgusted by them. Yeah. Yeah. He can't stand them. Also, I want to just mention earlier in the scene when he's doing chores for those women the first thing you see is him shirtless chopping wood and he's chopping wood like he's obviously never chopped wood before. The wood is sideways. He's uh-huh. chopping the same log over and over again, making barely a dent in it at all. Just like uh, useless such work. A great so small funny. visual guy. Yeah, yeah. It's like when you see like a guy like just hammering on a on a like piece of machinery, just like oh it's yeah. Great. And they're not paying attention because they're just they're, the, just they're horny him. for this yeah. guy. Um uh, but so it did make me think about the movies are sacred to this man. And mm-hmm. he is like, these people don't have the same reverence for this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not being treated as an art form. It's like this entertainment and they're, they're there, they're eating popcorn. They're, they're not talking actually, mm-hmm. which, um, uh, I was surprised by, but it made me miss the arc light. Mm. The arc light was a very good movie going experience. And so separate from the writing idea, we think about movie theater etiquette. Do you have like pet peeves at the movies? Have you felt like it's gotten worse? Do you go to the movies much in I, the theater? You might have found this since having children. Almost never. Yeah, I don't go to really. only kids movies, and I've sort of resigned myself to the fact that kids are going to be talking and crying yeah. and stuff because I only see kids movies. Yeah, now it's only kids movies. But I used to go to the ArcLight, where generally just like the people we're not mm-hmm. talking and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like a little bit more. They just kind of had it down. Mm-hmm. It was a great system there. I proposed to my wife inside the movie oh, theater wow. at the Arclight. Yes. Um, Cause we used to go almost every weekend to see something, even if we didn't really was care. Paul Blart, right? That we, you proposed to her we, Paul Blart? No, it was the film sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> really? It was sex tape starring Jason Siegel and Cameron Diaz. Okay. And um, Part of the reason that I chose that movie, because the week before I knew that I wanted to do it and she would go and get a caramel corn every uh, every week. And 
So I was like, I'm going to put the ring into the caramel corn mm -hmm. because like it's got this nice little pack and it's dark and I can hide it. And we had gone the week before we went to see Boyhood, which I was like, well, I really want to yeah. see this. That... And I don't want to propose it. <laughs> and then I was like, it's got to be more of like a light movie uh -huh. that if we walk out, we could catch yeah. it later. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so then I did do it there. And I, I've, I've told the story before on Doughboys, but like the the two hours before the movie, she's like, I don't want to go. <laughs> like, we have to go. <laughs> I got to see sex day. And then she's like, I got to see it tonight. And then she was like, I'm not going to get the popcorn. Today. It's not worth it. I was like, well, I want it for me. <laughs> Which I knew that, <laughs> that her greedy little myth would make her way in there. But anyway, I used to like to go to um, the Arclight and in general, but uh, uh, what I want to ask is, because I know people have different philosophies about this, not in kids' movies, but in your previous life, do you say anything? Like if somebody has their phone out or something like that, do you ever engage? N never. I'm the least confrontational person. I mean, I'll, I'll like be like, ah, can you believe this? Yeah. But I will not Yeah, you look around no. or turn. Sometimes you can go give a look grace will speak grace will and and, and that's what she that's one of her roles for mm, me she I love is that the voice and um dc pearson who's a friend would famously he was very much the the movie theater police he would be like you have your phone out the light is distracting like he would do it mm -hmm. in a respectful way but he would let people know i'm someone who generally am not going to get into a confrontation but I'll tell my one movie theater story, <laughs> confrontation story, which is I went to the Arclight opening night on my birthday. I don't know which birthday it was. Like it was like, you know, my, uh, uh, I could look up the year, but it's like my 37th birthday. Mm, the big one. To see Wind River. <laughs> okay. Happy oh, birthday to you. I was excited for Wind River. <laughs> I just looked up, I've been like, movies are opening the weekend of this because i'll just like go to the movies and i said wind driven i said well i i loved hell or high water i think sicario had come out before i said taylor sheridan's on a hot streak ren <laughs> remains to this day renner <laughs> is doing it and so i said all right i'm gonna go see this i was excited got the seats i wanted went in sitting movie was pretty good there's maybe 30 minutes left. We're kind of getting the climactic part. Mm -hmm. And this couple next to me is talking. They just start talking. Mm. And like Not the cool. volume's increasing and they're talking a lot. And I'm looking over and I'm looking over. And I finally look over and I just stare and like go like this. And he turns to me and he goes, what's your problem? <laughs> and I go, you're talking. <laughs> and she goes, so? And I go, what? so you're in a fucking movie theater. <laughs> and he uh -oh. kind of squares off to me and like gets halfway out of his seat. And I, who am not into confrontation and not tough, do this internal calculation mm -hmm. where I go, if I get my ass kicked in the arc light on my 37th birthday, at on Wind opening River. night of Wind River, 
that's kind of funny. (laughs) 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 And I fucking get halfway out too and turn him like, what? And he's like, okay. Yeah. Wow. And it worked. Whoa. Yeah. So, you know, not I'm not a tough guy. And by the way, if he had wanted to fight, he would have won. But mm. what I'll say is, I won the day. I mean, he didn't know it was my birthday, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that is a uh, that is tall privilege, I'm going to say, as a tiny man. I think could that not, I think put, that was part that of it. Yeah. I think that was part of it. He was a smaller guy. He was a shorter guy. I'm sure he was stronger than me. And and I'm sure he 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 was a better fighter, but I was taller and he probably just went like, I don't like the reach thing. Um <laughs> and I went home with his girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> I was with my wife. Uh who didn't notice what was going on. <laughs> what happened? I'm strong. Yeah. Did you see what I did? Yeah. Did you see? <laughs> Hero status. <laughs> Something that wasn't worth it. I risked it. <laughs> anyway, um, so he sneaks out of his boarding house to avoid the bill and mm-hmm. possibly the horny lady who <laughs> the works there. Also, in the, the sequence, the whole sequence, they keep flashing to the portrait of her late husband mm-hmm. whose expression keeps changing. Did you notice that? Oh, no, I didn't. So like when she's like, trying to like make his bed for him like at, when they get back from the movie they cut to him and he's like making an expression like i don't like this and then when he's like putting the sheets together to go out the window he's making an expression like oh interesting let's see let's see where this goes um it's <laughs> oh, very really very funny. subtle yeah. oh yeah very I cartoony i didn't catch it that's great um so uh then he goes to a diner this is where we meet veronica lake mm-hmm. well he hitchhikes, hitchhikes and gets back to hollywood Oh yes, yes. He he thought. Yes, he was that's right. Away. He yeah. gets he 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 hitchhikes. He gets in like the back of a pickup truck with mm-hmm. like hay bales or something, mm-hmm. and is like, "Take me as far as you're going." Yep. And then he gets back to Hollywood. So yeah. this is like a that's th- like a he's a magnet for yeah. Hollywood. Um, and then he goes to this diner, and he meets Veronica Lake, who is the richest looking broke person in history. <laughs> she's wearing an evening. Gown. She's like, yeah, she's like, because he he orders like a coffee, and he's like. Coffee and a sinker. Yeah. And that's all he needs. Um, and she's like, give him some ham and eggs. And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't need it. I don't need your charity. And then she's like, no, go ahead. Let me buy it for you. Like, I've, I'm on hard times too. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's in. Yes, she's in. She's in an evening gown. Mm-hmm. Just like hair, like perfect. so insanely perfect. Like everything, like looks so fucking glamorous. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she sits down next to him and he goes, things are tough huh and it's like where are you getting that from she seems like a millionaire and then she responds i wouldn't be sitting in an owl wagon for local color which is one of the lines in the movie that i just go like i like it yeah i don't know i don't know what is that how people talk back then i don't know yeah wouldn't be sitting in an owl wagon for local color um then she's like yeah she's basically like yes things are tough he goes Things are tough everywhere. War in Europe, strikes over here. Wow. Right? Hang on. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. The more things change, the more they what? (laughs) You know, it was made, what are we saying, 80 years ago? Is it 1941? Yeah. 2023. Okay. 82 years ago. 
Thank you. And it's still happening mm-hmm. today. Things are tough everywhere. Check. War in Europe. Check. Mm-hmm. Strikes over here. Yep. Um, so uh, I really liked part of this diner scene. I thought it was very clever. She basically is saying to him, I'm so happy that you're a complete loser. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise I would have to be nice to you <laughs> and like pretend to find you interested. Yes. Um, it, from the story you told of his backstory is very relevant. <laughs> yes, completely. So it's like, yeah, it's just like people, unless you're like someone important or if you're someone important, people have to put on a face, act like you're funnier. Mm-hmm. Um, and at every level, this happens all throughout Hollywood. Also, um, by the way, I think this might be, the, I wish I wrote it because- yes. And this is something we actually just spoke about. The name Mr. Smearcase is my favorite thing. It's perfect. I love it. <laughs> She's like, yeah, if you were someone important, I'd have to be like, ooh, thank you, Mr. Smearcase. Oh, Mr. Smearcase. What a lovely, ha, ha, ha. So funny, Mr. Smearcase. <laughs> and, then, and then as he starts having a real interaction with her, she keeps being like, Mr. Smearcase. <laughs> it's such a, yeah, it's such a great fake name. And then what I would say is it it reminds me he is immediately so bothered by the fact that he can't tell her mm-hmm. who he is. Yes. And not that I'm someone impressive. So it, it, it is different, but there is a feeling you have sometimes. In fact, even I was walking this morning in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> and Judy Greer walked by me. Oh, yeah. She's and, local. And someone I recognize but almost feels like i know them i i you know in the same way that our podcast listeners have a parasocial relationship with me (laughs) i have one of course with with some actors and then it's like you almost go to say hi like oh Mm -hmm. hey like because i recognize you and then you catch yourself Mm -hmm. for me i catch myself and i don't but then it's like but i should be able to say hey Mm -hmm. here we are two creatives Mm mm-hmm You've worked on show friends about we have I have writers in common. Uh, I've worked with yes. I could have introduced you. And you wanna say we practically we have friends <laughs> in common. We practically know each other. And there is this like very pathetic desire that I mm-hmm. always have to like let people know like I'm a fellow creative. Uh-huh. Like we have we you would like me. You'd yeah. like some of what I've done and we mm-hmm. know some of the same people. And it's like so painful to like not be able to say it and to be like, I'm not just normal. And that's mm-hmm. what he's going through in the scene. And I think it's very well portrayed. Sean, next time you run into Judy Greer, say, my friend Matt worked on Misguided. And she'll say, what was Misguided? And you can say, that was the show you were in. Uh, it lasted six episodes in 2007. And then it was ended before the strike. And she'll say, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. I looked up I looked up the um, that show because we... Um, in one of our famous poker games when I worked at Alan Gregory, <laughs> came up with a fake show idea. And I didn't realize there was a miss, because it's misguided, like miss, that's her name. Yeah, I think there was a slash in there too. When we were um, playing cards all the time, we came up with a fake pitch for a show called Miss Deal. And it was like a like down on her luck uh-huh. single mom who uh-huh. became a professional poker player, was playing in these like card rooms with all these big time hustlers in order to support her kid. And finally at the big tournament, she has to bring her young son to the game with her. Uh-huh. And 
she's like embarrassed because it's like she doesn't want him in this like card room but uh-huh. she has to play she's trying to win this money and she gets in this big hand and her son's tugging you know at her mm-hmm. skirt and she's like, not now not now and then she's like what finally what is it mommy he's lying he's lying <laughs> how do you know he's not under the table he keeps oh, tapping his foot when he's children. lying so the child has found oh, the wow. tell this is the pilot of Miss Deal. I mean, should we just go for it? Well, it's it could be good, right? <laughs> so, so misguided, of course, I, predates Miss Deal. What year was it made? Two thousand seven. Okay, yeah. So it predates Miss Deal. So we didn't know that someone had already used that naming convention. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, uh, a lot, in a lot of ways, that show was on the vanguard. It's been it's been enough time that maybe we could get out there. <laughs> he's nervous. That's what, like, what he's like. <laughs> Mommy, he's nervous. Um, um, I like in the car that he's like running through his own credits to her uh, and he finally lands on Hey Hey in the hayloft and she says, remember the scene where the two were in the hayloft? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then she describes this really long, like keeps going in this lapstick and then they fall in the water, but then yeah. the water gets sucked out. And then he sneezes at the horse and yeah. the horse sneezes back. <laughs> yes, the horse sneezes back, yeah. Um, yeah, I did want to um, talk about that where it's like, when you meet, uh, first of all, I, uh, like when you're talking about like things you've done, have you ever had an experience where it's like the only thing people like know of yours is your least favorite thing or Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's just like, or like pitching something that's completely against your own taste. Right. But you're like, I get it. But it crushes. (laughs) I was talking to Dave, our friend Dave King, the other day about the feeling of passing on a pitch. Like something comes up, thinking of a joke, and then going like, I'm not going to pitch that joke. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the room just thought of this joke. It's so obvious. Like we're too good for it. And then like 30 seconds goes by and someone else pitches it and it crushes. (laughs) And you're like... Yeah. So bad because like not only did I think of it, I'm too good for I'm it. I'm too cool, yeah. That's what you wanted? <laughs> oh God, I could give you that. And why are you laughing? You didn't think of it? Like it just like it was so obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that horrible feeling of like whatever the you know, lowest common denominator kind of humor. Yeah. So it's like it's I, I love that in this scene where it's like she's like, Oh yeah, I love so this funny. scene it starts describing, and you know that it's like it's the thing that he feels like the studio made him do. Right. And like, it's just like not. He wants to do importance. It's his least favorite yeah. part of what he's done. <laughs> um, I was talking to somebody else recently where they're like, all the shit, like when they were on a show, oh, it was an actor. They were like, all the stuff that I was like, this is so funny, like has no life whatsoever. And oh. all the stuff that they made me do where I was like, this is so hammy. Like I was making, mm-hmm. I was being an asshole on set, like making fun of the idea of what we were filming, like that's the stuff that like now, 10 years later, people come and they're like, that is the funniest scene. Like my husband and I like talk about that scene. It's an inside joke at our house. And it's like, this is what connects to people. It's like a cool message for him. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he references all his own work. Uh, He's having this constant battle between his ego and his ideals. Mm -hmm. He wants her to know who he is, but he He wants her to recognize the thing, but he like can't quite say it, and he can't get out of Hollywood. He ends up in Hollywood again, right? Yeah, he gets they get arrested because he gets his car. He's uh, stolen his own car, pretending it was someone else's. 
And then it, there's a great scene in the jail where he is so rude to the police officers and pulling rank on them and just like, just knows that he's untouchable and invincible because mm-hmm. he's a rich, famous director. It's great. And it will come back to play later. Yes, of course. Yeah. The privilege, the, the privilege that he has that he like is, has no shame about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then uh, also he has this like, he's like, get the girl out too. And the cop says like, well, how does the girl fit into the picture? And mm-hmm. he goes, there's always a girl in the picture. Mm-hmm. Don't you go to the movies? I thought it was a good, I thought the restraint of meta stuff Mm-hmm. like in this movie like it feels like yes it's so it's so much is like very over the top but they don't overdo that stuff and i thought the spots where they did it were were good yes um, although i will say uh this movie is very progressive and cool in a lot of ways about like class and race and stuff gender wise there are two women in this movie essentially mm-hmm. one is his like harpy wife and the other is veronica lake who's very good and funny but does not have a name she is the girl. <laughs> yes, that's right. We never find out. It does because it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. She sure. could be anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I also wonder because I talked in uh, what was the movie I did recently um, that was like a somewhat. Oh, it was the player. I was like mm-hmm. the, the love interest in the player. I was like, is this the first Manic Pixie Dream Girl? And uh-huh. then I realized how far back it goes. Oh, it because goes way back. Veronica yeah. Lake is Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah. Like she's like keeps calling him big boy like yeah. he meets him instantly is like just like totally Supportive. on her own thing like yeah. weird creative but like into him for no reason mm-hmm. uh says like he's like what can you know like can i do anything for you she's like buy me some ham and eggs before i bite you then he takes her to his big house where she pushes him in the pool uh-huh. like it's all like it's very yeah might be like, the uh first instance of a Big fancy butler getting pushed in the pool. I don't know. We don't know. I was curious. Do you think that when they were in the theater, like watching this movie when it first came out, was this like murder? Like were people like losing their fucking shit? <laughs> that someone guy went in the, in the pool. <laughs> like, I mean, judging it's... how the crowd reacted to the Pluto cartoon later in the movie. Yeah, and that's being sold as, <laughs> as, yeah, I guess so. It's like that is way that, you know, I think comedy has changed. <laughs> I don't think you could score quite as many points. You are like, oh, this shit was easy. Yeah. Like you watch old sitcoms and you're like, oh, these are all such hacky jokes. Like mm-hmm. it was, I could have written these. Like it's the most obvious first thought. But then you watch this and you're like, you didn't even have to have a line. No. There are good lines in the movie, but it's like you could just fall in the pool Push or get your head stuck pool, in yeah. the roof. <laughs> um, also, when we get to his house, because we saw him inside before, mm-hmm. this is where we get a sense of how insane his ruse was. Yes. That he has a tennis court. He has like- A grove. He has a grove, yeah. Um, what's the craziest Hollywood house you've ever been to? Ooh, that's a You don't have question. to say who, but like, what's the weird- crazy- Somebody I know who made a lot of money in the 90s and TV bought- what was formerly, I think, Bella Lugosi's house in mm-hmm. like Coldwater Canyon. Uh, and it's massive and it has like a rose garden. And he was like, uh, so he used to come and tend these roses with his friends. Like they, they were all like, you know, rich English dudes. And a couple of his friends were like, we love this rose garden so much that when we die, we want to be buried here. And they are. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I went to... Um, uh when I was playing tennis more frequently, I was, you know, in some different games with some more like Hollywood people. And one time I got invited to 
play tennis. They were like, can you play tennis this Saturday? And I was like, yes. And they were like, okay. John Mayer okay. is living in B. Arthur's old house. Okay. And it has a really nice tennis court. And so I did go, I went to B. Arthur's house to play <laughs> tennis with John Mayer. Allison Williams was there too. She came and sure. played with me and it was like a month before Girls came out. And oh, it was well. just like people talking to her about like the show. And I was like, what is this? Shit? Like, just like, uh, and it was uh, uh, not surprising that she was good at tennis. <laughs> Might have played. Might have grown up, up around. Maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I went to a fundraiser once at a place that had a big giant fruit grove, like they mm -hmm. describe it in this movie, where I was just like, oh. Cool. I remember one time it was like, I think I had just moved here and Seth Myers was visiting and he was like, hey, this is 2007. He's like, we were having a drink at the Polo Lounge and he was like, Lindsay Lohan says there's a party going on up the street. Do you want to go? And I was like, sure, why not? We walk, it's like a block away from the Beverly Hills Hotel. We walk up the street, get to the house. It's like an insane, it's one of the, maybe the craziest house I've ever been in. The party is essentially all people who are no older than 22 years old. <laughs> it's all these very rich teenagers and Quentin Tarantino's there. And it's very weird and creepy the whole time. We say hi to Lindsay uh, and Seth and I are like, this is uh this is weird right like we should probably just leave right and so we like say goodbye and we walk out the door and start walking back down the street back to the hotel and like kind of without even saying anything start walking faster and faster until we are literally running away from this party because we're like the vibe was so weird that we just had to go as fast as possible oh no <laughs> um oh so sullivan is like <laughs> Just this woman like really, really wants to come with him mm -hmm. on the event. It is like, you are not qualified to do what you're trying to do. Yes. You don't know how to talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. You don't know, like you won't be able to get food or do anything. Like, why don't you have me come with you? Wardrobe can make me up as well mm -hmm. so that we could travel together. And is like begging him. Again, the most glamorous woman in history. Yes. And he's like, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> like, but then he just agrees for some yeah. reason. Yeah, and then we never see about him agree, but it's just like, of course, they're going to travel together. There's a great scene where the butlers call the train yard and they say, uh, it, "It's uh, does that train carry tramps? And if so, where do they board? Yes. <laughs> and then he hangs up and says, like, well, it's what we expected. <laughs> like, so, yeah, they bring him to like the, they drop him off at the uh, tramp loading area mm -hmm. and then they crawl onto the train um this is what is good about this movie though is that like sullivan is a buffoon who thinks he can tell the story of the common man or the or the poor person what sturgis does that's very cool is that his actual depictions of of the hobos and poor people in this movie are like incredibly sensitive like they are not cartoons they are like they are the people sort of looking at him like what the fuck or just like living their lives, this life. And it's, I think it's done very honestly and cool. So like when well, he shows up, it's not like silly hobos and bindles and stuff. Like they look real and they, their reactions are real. Um, yes. And that, and like, it's very, it's the joke is on him. Yes. Like when he like tries to start a conversation with them, it's always like, it's never like these people are assholes or these people. It's always like, 
as you said, they're just existing, trying yeah. to live their life. And this fucking annoying dude is being like, how does the morning find you, gentlemen? And they're just like, dude, he like. Does. How do you feel about the labor situation? Oh my God, I love that. That's me. He's just like me for real, for real. I remember the thing I wanted to say about houses, which is a story I heard about a very famous showrunner who bought a big house and then like really wanted to have a library with one of those like ladders that rolls. Oh yeah, that's what a rich person Which has. does sound cool. Yeah. And was like, this is what I'll have because a rich person would have this. And so like they built the library and they put the ladder in and then just was amazed at like how many books you need to own for that. <laughs> and it was just like, this is a whole other project. Mm -hmm. And then just like had to like finally like assign someone. And it was like, and was told like, you know, a lot of times it's not real books when you see something like this, oh, yeah. it's just like shell. And it was just like, no, I know, but I gotta have the yeah, books. You gotta have like <laughs> the leather like, bound books too. Just the like lack of foresight, but just like that kind of, that kind of money to have a house like uh, uh, Sullivan has it here mm -hmm. and just be like, I want to have this library that be like, oh yeah, books. Like I don't, <laughs> I'm not actually that into books that I would need a library like this. <laughs> I just like the idea of it. It's just such a fucking next level thing. Well, that apparently is so common. I know somebody that does interior design for very rich people. And so many people want that library with like the red leather bound books and stuff. Yeah. That like, the places that sell all of those books, they literally sell them by the yard, like a yard. They don't care what the books are. It yes. doesn't matter. Yeah. But they need this many it yards. They need to occupy this much shelf space. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so <laughs> funny. Um, yeah. Perfect. Uh, so anyway, yeah. How do you, how do you find the labor situation? Um, I, and then I like that they, he starts talking with Veronica Lake about like, you know, we got to act like tramps. We got to do what tramps do. And then he's like, what do you know what tramps do? And she's like, they steal chickens and they cook them over a campfire with, with roasted potatoes. Another nice, oh, brother, or art thou, Cone Brothers thing. Uh, the first thing that our main characters do in Oh, Brother, or art thou when they escape the chain gang is they steal a chicken and cook it over a campfire, which yeah. is great. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, so then, yeah, he, he engages random strangers about labor rights. Then uh, I had a question for you, which is, what is the most in-depth research you've ever done for a script? Obviously, Sullivan's going above and beyond. Uh huh. Um, have you have you worked on something where you like really dug in? I assume you didn't get into a costume and and take on another persona, but have you like had to do a bunch of work on? Um, when I was doing Sunnyside, thank you. Uh, we it was a show about a guy who was sort of teaching a class for people who are trying to become U.S. citizens because mm -hmm. there is a test you have to take. Yeah, it's a pretty simple test, but like you do have to study for it. Like okay. if you don't pass it. Um, I mean, oh, Matt thinks the test is simple. <laughs> well, I guess if anybody didn't pass the test, well, that's your fault. For Matt Murray, you should feel like <laughs> fucking shit. Anyway, Harvard asshole. <laughs> I'm oh, saying the I could Harvard pass guy it. thinks the test is easy. I can pass it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I did, I did like go to one of those classes and uh -huh. like, I, you know, did research on that and, and like the citizenship process and all that stuff, which yeah. is so Byzantine, like, because our country is deliberately trying to keep people out that like yeah. to get citizenship is like incredibly hard. Well, yeah, I'm sure it's like the, if the, even if the test isn't hard, it's like, if you have to, uh, if you have to take the class that like getting into the system to get into the oh. class like 
I feel like the barriers they put up are all like, you have to sign up on a website, but then it's like, well, the assumption then is that you have access to like right. internet and a computer and all this. And then it's like being able to like make an account and do all these other things. Like there's always like all this red tape before. So that then, cause I remember someone telling me like, when you like go to the DMV, mm -hmm. they're like, well, you can make an appointment online. Like, cause it's always like, well, you're going to wait in line for right, right. And they were like, well, you'll make an appointment online and only people who are disenfranchised will not have the like ability and knowledge to do that. Right. And so then the people who wait in line will be the people who like, I really need to go to the DMV for yes. something, you know, like, because they're going to be in trouble for that, like that the, that's the way it's all structured. Yes, so it's it makes yet another sense. indignity that, that poor people have to suffer. Yes. Also, just as as a side note, talking about like internet access, when I when I worked at Ghosted and we were in North Hollywood and it was like a really bad, you know, shitty neighborhood and like the walk just sucked and there'd be like it's one of those neighborhoods where you walk around and there's just like a toilet on the side. Mm -hmm. Like you're like, mm -hmm. Well, what happened? Like, why is there a toilet here? Um, and then the only business, like, cause you're used to like if you work in the CBS lot. It's like, there's a couple cafes you can, walk, yeah, you can to. walk to. Yeah. The only business that was open that was like within walking distance was an adult bookstore. <laughs> so it was a, it was a porno shop. Uh huh. And I, and someone remarked to me, which I hadn't thought, but they were like, what this means is that the neighborhood that we are in is so far like below the poverty line. Mm hmm that internet access is not a given right. because if you yeah. have the internet you're yes. not this business is closed <laughs> you don't need magazines. you don't go here <laughs> but it's thriving oh no <laughs> and so um uh just another and and here we were mm -hmm. big famous hollywood producers getting shingles right next door oh my god and uh so you have suffered people, yes <laughs> well i had suffered but then of course i'm here looking down on this entire neighborhood of people who i'm actually making the show about i mean ghosted was for the proletariat <laughs> it was for the people <laughs> um, for the ghosts of the people yes uh so anyway um I, in terms of me researching a script i guess i never have had to do something like that but the big thing that oh oh because i had another question for you which is like have you gone to work on a show that is like deep into their seasons. You work on American Dad? I never worked on American Dad. Well, I worked on the Cleveland show. The Cleveland, okay. Oh, Thank well, you. that wasn't one. You're <laughs> welcome. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think about like, when somebody goes to write for like The Simpsons now, mm -hmm. how much do they need to catch up on? Like, cause I know like when I went to work for Workaholics in its third season, so mm -hmm. I watched the whole first two seasons in like a day. Yeah. And then um, when I went to work on Ash versus Evil Dead, I did like a Sam Raimi like, mm. movie marathon leading mm -hmm. up to it to like have a familiarity. But that's like as far as I've ever gone. But I know some people must go and like have to like really oh, yeah. study the show before even taking a meeting. I, I jumped onto Parks and Rec in season five. Okay. So that was, I was only there for the last few years, but I was kind of watching that show yeah. anyway. So. Yeah. Easier if you're up to date or if it's like, oh, there's like a very small blind spot I need to fill in. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's also different to like have watched it and like actually know everything that's happened to all the Well, characters. The Simpsons, how do you even know? Like, well, they have, I think they have like a, 
an expert in the room with them now i've heard who like, like will say dramaturg <laughs> yes exactly who's just like this whatever like episode season, 498 yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah we had like this version of that happen um uh it's then implied that sullivan is allergic to pigs uh -huh. <laughs> he says he has pig fever <laughs> um he gets really sick physically breaks down um gets fixed up by like a doctor feel good this was the thing i was gonna ask you about about physically deteriorating when you were running your show um uh but we covered that um then he uh kind of just like this is where he actually says like gravity is pulling me back to hollywood mm -hmm. always like i just like am constantly being pulled back to my original station mm -hmm. even when he got out of town at, like he ended up in las vegas which was where everyone was waiting just for happened. him yep. because um they didn't go to boulder dam or national yellow park <laughs> so then he rides with them they like are uh caring for him and giving him uh medicine and um so he just like can't escape the sort of like life of privilege in hollywood that mm -hmm. he's that he's been uh destined for Isn't you believe that... in destiny matt <laughs> <laughs> it's brought me here <laughs> yeah i guess that's true um I worked for my one of my first jobs. I worked for Dave Thomas, who I'll talk about mm -hmm. on that on that um, animated show with all the Ivy League writers. Uh huh. And he would and he would kind of hold court on that. I love Dave. And one day he talked about like, you know, certain people they'll ask like, how did you, how did you make it? Like, how did you get this career? Like, it's so hard to do something in showbiz. And he's mm -hmm. like, he's like, but I look at some of these these people that I've known and I go, well, you know, me or I work with a guy, they're driven, they're funny, they're talented, they're hardworking. And the question's not, why did they make it? The question is, what could have stopped them? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is like any number of yeah. starting situations. <laughs> it's also such a positive way of looking at writers in general where some might say, looking at a lot of writers, how did they get here? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe the person they're asking is like, doesn't meet that criteria. Yeah. But I did like, um, I did like his sort of, because he's like a, um, not usually a big softy, you know, mm -hmm. but then he'd just get very like, this is, this, you know, this sort of like town for dreamers. <laughs> uh, and I always, I always enjoyed it um so he successfully gets to live in a shelter and eat in soup kitchens yes so that this montage is my favorite thing in the movie yeah this montage is really cool and good yeah it's, and it's all it is yeah it's like no this dialogue. whole wordless sequence where it's like mm -hmm. he like finally is like getting to it goes to kansas city or something like it's in or, kansas city yeah and and it's where you see like the indignities that poor people have to yeah. endure just to like live but you also see that they are they are just living their lives. Like he walks through that encampment and like there's families, there's old people, there's young people, there's people of different races living right next to each other. Yeah. There's a house that says like for sale, like FHA terms, which is like a funny joke for like somebody putting that on their like shanty that they've built. Yeah. Like that these people have humor and like lives. And then they go to the soup line and have to endure that. And they're in communal showers. Yeah. And then there's like that um they're in like a like a church essentially like where they they have to listen to a preacher give a sermon which from his like gestures like seems like it's getting a little anti-semitic 
Uh-huh. Um, but like all those poor people who are just sitting there bored out of their minds. Yeah. Like I, I was a skateboarder growing up and there were certain skate parks that were run by churches. And yeah. the deal was you can come skateboard here, but you have to listen to a, a sermon for like an hour. So it was like all these skateboarders just being like, fuck, I'm just get, fucking yeah. finish this up. And so we can go skateboard. And it's like, it's like, yeah, we'll feed you. We'll give you a floor to sleep on, but you got to listen to this. Church. Yeah. So it's like, who's that for? Like, it, yeah. Yeah. I, I had, my neighbors were part of this like more specific church than I was, but they had almost like a version of the Cub Scouts called the Royal Rangers. <laughs> and it was Boy Scout stuff. It was camping. Mm-hmm. It was like activities. It was like, you go fucking do a zip line over a lake and like all this fun shit. And I would go and do it with them. I would go and do the campouts. But as it was way, way, way more religious. Mm-hmm. And I remember like going just like the like the skateboarder thing where it was like hey we're gonna do this and it was like and then it's movie night and there was mm-hmm. like okay and i did a bunch of shit with them and i was like this is cool and like starting a fucking fire in mm-hmm. the woods and i was like all right and then we go into the little uh room for movie night and the movie is left behind like oh, about God. like the rapture yeah. and then they're like all right cool so everybody put your arm around each other and then we will uh yeah. do our like free prayer or whatever and everyone starts speaking in tongues oh God. and i was like go <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to do a zip line. <laughs> yeah. Um, but That's yeah, real. it's, yeah, it is, uh, it's a community. So then, um, uh, <laughs> then, yeah, so the, this montage is great. And then we also see him like bonding with, uh, Lake. with her and they, you know, and, and it's also, he's like, I'm getting the real sense of it is how mm-hmm. he feels but um, he's a fucking tourist. Like he's like, yes. it's so neat that people yes. live this way. And like, he would never want to actually endure it. It's not real trouble for him. It's a vacation, mm-hmm. even though it's like not a vacation you would necessarily want to take. And I even referenced it a little bit. Like, so in the previous episode um, that I did with Leslie, where we talked about permanent midnight and I talked about some of my like, drug experiences and i i would have these like crazy stories of like mm-hmm. you know i drove into this bad neighborhood and i would got these strangers in my car and we like went and it's like it's so i'm like you know i'm cool like i really did it it's like no i was there for a day and this was everybody else's lived experience but i was like i'm you know you're you're a tourist mm-hmm. like you're a fucking poser you're a fake mm-hmm. um and and for him, and I'm guilty of it too. Like when you're doing it, you feel like, wow, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm raw. <laughs> well, like, the the montage ends with him, like him and Veronica Lake, uh, opening a trash can and almost eating out of it. And then going like, nah, not enough. Which in the early scene of the movie, when he's telling his studio guys that this is what he wants to do, one of them says, you know, what do you know about trash cans? Have you ever eaten out of one? And so he's about to do that. And then he goes, now, nah, you know what? This is enough. I got enough. And yeah. he leaves. <laughs> like, yeah. And then immediately pays a price for it in the next few scenes. Yes. So then like, so then I can't remember exactly where it comes up that like Veronica Lake basically has fallen in love with him and, mm-hmm. and he has to be like, I'm married. Mm-hmm. Um, just as like a subplot and his wife is he's married only for tax purposes they really breeze by that <laughs> and they go into but they do go into I think the specific of like and it didn't even work out well for his taxes yeah yeah <laughs> like it's like 
Yes. Uh, just, just I let. I mean, a lot of good specifics of like gross rich people. Yes, like us. But then he, um, yeah, he gets the idea that since he now fully understands what it means to be poor, not really, but in his mind, he does. He's going to go give out a thousand bucks in five dollar bills. Go give out five dollar bills to everyone. Um, and so he's going with a stack of $5 bills. And as you mentioned, the man with the actual limp mm-hmm. starts like creeping around behind him, conks him over the head, robs him, shoves him on a train car unconscious, mm-hmm. and then goes running off with the money, which then starts like blowing around the train yard as he's gathering it up. He gets hit by a train. Mm-hmm. He has stolen Sullivan's money and Sullivan's shoes, mm-hmm. which earlier in the movie Sullivan's very annoyed that the studio doesn't want him traveling around like with no ID at all Mm -hmm. so they basically have like a property of the studio like card inserted into his shoes Mm -hmm. as part of the wardrobe so everyone believes now that Sullivan is the one who's been hit by a train because the body is mangled and unidentifiable Mm -hmm. and it has the shoes that say this is property of the studio Um, so everyone starts mourning him he then wakes up totally foggy and unconscious mm-hmm. uh, or uh, not unconscious, but um, unaware of who he is mm-hmm. gets into an argument with a yard bull, the yard bull uh, yeah. who's like, kind of like pushing him along of like, get off the train, you tramp, like we're going to lock you up. He gets so mad that he picks up a rock off the ground and hits the guy in the head. Well, he has none of the status that he had in the previous scene with the police officer. Yes. It's like he, now he does know what it means to have no privilege and no status. Like Yes. Well, and he really finds out what the justice system does yes. if there's not money that you can pay for a fine or whatever, mm-hmm. where it's like there's no discussion of like how they would let him out or anything else. Um, they do, for all the portrayal of him as just like a total dandy, he does really fuck the dude up with a rock yeah. right away. And I will say... This is an old school writer. This is when the writers, even the fancy ones, were at least in the army for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He's got a little bit of something to him. Um, so, uh, you know, they used to get into fights in writers' rooms. You ever in a writers' room where people got in a fight? You hear the stories of physical fights in the rooms. I Not on any staff I've been in, yeah. thankfully. But uh, it, that's always so funny to me. that It's like, that character wouldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what? You want to fight about that? That's like... not an act break. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that is very funny to me. I've only seen mean comments and often I'm making them. So uh, <laughs> so he wants to just pay a fine, uh, but he finds out how broke people really get treated. Uh, mm-hmm. He gets put into a hard labor camp for six years. Mm-hmm. And they. I thought this was done really well too, where everything's fuzzy around the edges as mm-hmm. they like montage through the court. So you realize that like, He's just still so disoriented that he can't mount yeah. a good defense for yeah, himself. Yeah, it's very hazy. It was very filming. efficient. Um, and then he goes to work in the labor camp where he gets like, uh, you know, treated like shit. He's mm-hmm. he's now because of his arrogance, because of his privilege. It's a huge detriment to him here because he doesn't know how to like fall in line, mm-hmm. and that is like also, I think something we we touched on in the show of like even within the stupid like construct of a writer's room like you do there is a difference sometimes of like there's a young writer who will come in and you'll just be like 
you've never had a boss. Yes. Like it is like creative people who work independently or yes. like got famous on YouTube or something. And it's like, oh, but dude, this is a job and there's like mm -hmm. a hierarchy and like you, you have to be able to like follow the mm -hmm. instructions a little bit. I'm of two minds about that a little bit. Like and I was very lucky to be able to start my career very young. And I'm sure I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I mean, I didn't. So, yeah. so I'm sure I was pitching shit that made no sense or was unfeasible or whatever. But I didn't know any better. Like, I think there's some value to that. Because I've also been on staffs where people be like, can you believe this writer? Only a story editor doing this? Like, know your place. I'm like, well, they everyone should be able to pitch whatever they want. Who cares? Yes. Pitching, I think... Yes, I do think that people should be like open to pitch and mm -hmm. like read the room. Yes, like, reading you know, the room is uh, the most important. Please, thing. like yes. that would be great, but like it shouldn't be like I'm not allowed to talk yet. Right. Um, but there is also like some amount of like, and I know like e even it's funny because when Goodman was here, he was like, "You were lucky to have me as a first showrunner because I think that I a little bit had come out of I, all my my." schooling basically was at ucb where mm -hmm. it's like you're kind of all the same level yeah. like you have a director or a coach or, but but the discussions are very frank in terms of like no i don't like that i like this and mm -hmm. so um had some of that and had to unlearn it of like when somebody's giving you a note on a scene you wrote and mm -hmm. they're your boss and you disagree with it mm -hmm. tell them how you think you can make it work like right. don't go like that's not that's worse. Like <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Um, and that is like, it's like, who cares? Like, it yeah. doesn't matter. Like, it's like, just like we're doing the job. So he, I think is in this position of being like, no, like I want this or like what you can't do this to me. And it's yeah. like, yes, we can't yes, do we this can. to you. You're going to be like doing this labor work in the hot sun. And mm -hmm. you like, he gets locked in the box, the sweat box, the sweat box, Yeesh. which looks pretty fucked up. Yeah. All the, and that like very little in this section of the movie is played for comedy at all. Like it is. Brutal. No, yeah. no, it's, it's just like, this is, this is what it's really like. If you work on one of these labor camps, mm -hmm. like he's on like a chain gang, they like chain him to the bed and he like asks for a phone call and can't get it. And, and they, um, and there are people there looking out for him and being like, you'll figure it out. You'll figure yeah. it out. Like just basically like we need to kind of break your spirit. Um, and he sort of realizes like, I can't endure this. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want real trouble. And he's telling the people like, this doesn't happen to people like me. Mm -hmm. Like big, big, they're like, well, you hit a yard bull. So like you do, you got a kind of light sentence for mm -hmm. that. And he's like, no, I'm a big movie director. Mm -hmm. So this is too big a sentence for me. They don't put yeah. people like me in prison for yeah. this, for this says, small an offense. The guy says, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, but oh, we're skipping the church scene, which I thought was very good. Um, where they take the prisoners to see a movie. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, this is very important. And it's the third time we see him see a movie, right? Yes. So the first time he's in a private screening room, the second time he's with the common people and he's kind of grossed out. And then the third time he's basically been like abused and beaten down and mm -hmm. he's like a shell. And then there's this church, a different church mm -hmm. where... Um, they have promised the first three pews of the church to the prisoners from the local work camp yeah. uh, in order to, you know, uh, come and enjoy a movie as like their only treat they get. And I have to imagine that it was kind of a pretty radical thing 
at the time to have a scene set in a black church where mostly white people are being brought in in shackles into a black church and having the black preacher in the in the community of that church be the only people to treat the people as fortunate than with any humanity at all and to have that the yeah. black preacher saying like when they come in yeah don't don't like look askance at them like mm -hmm. try to treat them with respect like don't move away from them like yeah. Like, yes, these people have their troubles, but we need to come. Like, yeah, um, they're really in that in a higher status position. So, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that that was unique mm -hmm. uh, um, at the time that this film was released. And so they go in to watch the movie and it's and it's Mickey Mouse it's and Pluto. Pluto cartoons. What do you think? was the legality of using a dis because now you would never be able to i know because it's a paramount movie yeah. <laughs> but you do, do you think go they just did it also think... during this strength with like where as you see the numbers of these studio executives yeah. and like all this and like the and like the paramount plus like streaming existence yeah. you go like god paramount was fucking goaded when they <laughs> like they were like the they were the they were the game in 1941. You see that mountain, it's like you're in for a fucking time, man. Like it's just like whoa. I I just wonder, like, do you think they even asked Disney permission to use the clip? Yeah, I don't. I, I have the answer. Oh, oh yeah, they wanted a Charlie. Sturgis wanted a Charlie Chaplin clip for the church scene, but it was turned down by Chaplin. Oh. And Disney, the Disney cartoon was substituted instead. Okay, so okay. I guess they must have signed off. I think people used to be cooler too about sharing a car because Charlie Chap was like, no, nope, don't want to do it. Right. I'm bigger than you. I don't need you. Yeah. Disney might have been like, oh, Preston Sturges movie? Cool. Yeah. Like, pr good promotion for my thing. But yeah, the crowd. And, and it's them loving it. The like, crowd reacts to that Pluto cartoon like they're going to die. They're losing <laughs> it. They're laughing so hard. And it's on Sullivan's like looking around, being like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. But then he catches himself laughing in spite of himself. Mm -hmm. And he asks his neighbor, am I laughing? Am I laughing right now? <laughs> what a loser. <laughs> what a loser. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so anyway, he uh, he obviously is taking in the ultimate message of the film, mm -hmm. um, which he will then express later when they tell him that he can make his movie. So then uh, I guess... I've chosen this moment as my wish I wrote it of like him being trapped in prison and trying to figure out how he can get out. And he's like, I'm a movie director. The other guy's like, are you sure? Like, <laughs> yeah. you really don't like, he's like, don't I look hit on like the head. He's like, what is the job? He says he does look like there's a funny a plasterer. Yeah. <laughs> Like you could be a plaster. So, oh, you he goes, you look like a soda jerk. A soda jerk or a plaster. It's really yeah. funny. Um, so then he's like, no, I need to get my picture in the paper. Now, my suggestion is they should have had the internet. Don't you think this would have been easier if they had the internet? Oh, my God. Cell phones? If he had a cell phone. Oh, my God. One call. Yeah. So easy. Um, <laughs> uh, well, if he just was like, hey, look up my Instagram page. Yeah, IMDB me. Look at my Instagram. Um, so... He, he's like going like, who gets their picture in the paper? And the guy goes, ball players. <laughs> <laughs> so unhelpful. But then he's basically like, the only time anybody from this prison has had their picture in the paper is when we had like a serial killer. I wrote down this quote, which is so funny, which is also maybe the quote that you had, which is, yeah. there was a swell picture of a friend of mine, a lodge brother 
They called him the blowtorch killer. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was it. It's this whole sequence of like, cause you're also like, how is he going to get out? Yeah. And I thought that like the writing of the scene is very funny. That guy's so funny as like his sort of foil, but his friend. Yeah. And, and the, the solution he comes up with is very clever. Yeah. Cause you're like, but you can't go and confess to murders because like then you will be kept in prison yeah. because you'll be a murderer. Even if they see your thing, you'll still have to like be on trial for right. what you confess to. And he goes and confesses to the murder of Himself. Sullivan. Yeah. Cause he's like, Oh, they think I'm dead. Mm -hmm. They think I was killed in the train yard. So I'll say I murdered John Sullivan in the train yard, which when they go to fact check it will be like, Oh yeah, he was murdered in the train yard. And we don't know who did yeah. it. Then they'll put my picture in the paper as the murderer. I thought it was really clever. Yeah. And then he like does get his kind of press tour and then people do see the picture and they all go to get him. Also, I had a thought when he went mm -hmm. to go to the movies mm -hmm. and they go to see the, obviously for the story, what they see with the Mickey Mouse cartoon is better. I thought what he was going to see was a screwball comedy starring Veronica Lake. Oh, interesting. That she had become a famous actress right, right, while right. he was gone. And that like, oh. this was like more of what he was missing out on. Mm -hmm. It's a pitch for Preston Sturgis if for he wants it. Sullivan travels too. Yeah. So, um, yes. But we see her. She is now an actress. She's the one who sees him in the paper. Yes. She's in a showgirl outfit. Also, I read when I was researching this that there's a man in the background of that scene who is Preston Sturgis. Who oh. like when she like gets up to run out, he like turns around and is like, "Huh, what? The? That's him." But uh, that I love that scene. This is such a minor thing, but like when she gets out and runs through the studio lot to go deliver the news to the studio guys, that like I love things set on studio lots where it's like an American Indian and like an astronaut and like a cowboy or whatever. Yeah. Like, like they did that in a f very funny way in Pee Wee's Big Adventure at SNL when we would, anything that was set like backstage, like in the middle of the show where you'd be like, Oh, I'm getting dressed for the next sketch. Yeah. We would always, there would always be a llama. There would always be a man dressed like Abraham Lincoln. And there would always be two showgirls. Like, no matter, <laughs> and they would never be in any of the sketches. Yeah, but that sure. was just what's going on like behind the scenes always. Yeah, it's a big it's a big show. <laughs> um, that's cool. Uh, but they, they get him out. He's free. He's like... Which, by the way, they completely gloss over like getting him out because he did brain that yard bull with a yes, rock that yeah. guy was fucked up <laughs> oh absolutely but then it is just like but it's rich. for him he's yeah. it's a fine yeah <laughs> and so yeah i'm sure the studio paid some amount of money to free him and then they go well this is the most press we've ever had for a film we can't wait for you to see mm -hmm. oh you know oh brother where art thou like you're allowed to make it now we're excited about it he's like i don't want to make it anymore mm-hmm and his message is that what he learned when he went to see that uh, comedy cartoon with all the labor people is that like, actually it is, you know, movies about struggle are not what people who are struggling want to see, that they want to escape, that they want to laugh. Mm -hmm. um, that is also makes the Coen brothers titling their movie, Oh Brother, or though even funnier because it's like, he now is smart enough to realize like, Making this movie is a bad idea, but it's the Code Brother saying, but we could do it. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, and I will say, so yeah, he's like, all this pretentious preachy stuff is like only being made for my peers. Like I mm -hmm. should be making things. Um, and uh, he says, there's a lot to be said for making people laugh. Did you know that's all some people have? It isn't much, but it's better than nothing in this cockeyed caravan. 
<laughs> yeah. Ain't and that the truth? How do you, and yeah, and how do you, how do you feel about that? Does it make you feel like comedy is a more noble pursuit? Of course. How do you, how do you feel about what you do for a living? Do you feel like it's stupid? I you know I do a podcast with Hayes, uh huh, and he's like out like helping people. I mean, it makes me feel like shit, you know. I mean, in a way, it's kind of the same thing. It's like helping people, doctor, I don't know, teacher, comedy writer. Yeah, yeah, they're all important. They're all important. Do you ever get set? Do, do people ever tell you that? Like, because my wife is a she builds housing for poor people before that she was an attorney for people who didn't have enough money for an attorney mm -hmm. and when i would tell people that that's what she did pe people would often go like well what you do is important too i'd be like don't even try <laughs> like it's not please <laughs> my mom so my mom uh vacillated she was either went between being a high school teacher and a nurse and as a nurse primarily at least through the end of her career she uh was like a care coordinator for cancer patients and so that was like her main thing and she dealt with cancer patients and their families she organized support groups for their families mm -hmm. and organized these big events she do this big event called like survivor's day and so that was like her life and i was talking about like doctors and nurses and kind of being like you know what I do, like, um, I think I was, I had been telling her a story of a friend of mine who was a doctor who had like helped somebody with mm -hmm. something. And I was like, nothing I ever do will like be as like, be as helpful to anyone as like the one thing he did for right. this person today. Yeah. And what she said to me, and it's true, don't even try. But she was like, you know, I deal with people often who are not, who are dying mm -hmm. and there sometimes reaches a point where there is nothing else I can do for them. Mm -hmm. But their favorite show, their favorite movie, mm -hmm. their favorite like books, like that stuff still is important and still like gives comfort to them. Like, and so they like get some kind of enjoyment from it. Whereas mm -hmm. like, I, you know, in a way that nothing that I can do can help them. And I was like, oh, that's right. I'm better than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you can take that as a, a tiny bit of care, even though, of course, what we do fundamentally on a day to day level is insanely stupid. Don't but, you tell know, the studios that. No, 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 no. It's so, it's so precious. Well, well what did they fucking do? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, thank you, Matt, for coming on. Is there any final thought or anything you want to say? I'm just looking forward to Night of Cups. I think I can't yeah, wait to all right. get that So done. look forward. Matt will be back for Night of Cups. <laughs> next week, uh, right? Yeah, we're doing it next <laughs> week. Um, love to watch movies and write things down. Uh, not getting tired of it at all. I love you, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>